Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. Welcome back to a brand new year, a brand new series. That's right. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed our extra special holiday event on The Long Kiss Goodnight and that, <laughs> and that this podcast finds you safe and well in 2021. That's right. Um, we are revisiting 1996 with our next series here. We're going to be talking about uh, an action classic, The Rock. Yes. This is like one of the... The crescendo of the era of Arnold type movies is awesome. Yeah, this was before Michael Bay sold the genre <laughs> down the river, never to be heard from again. Yes, this movie is is fucking badass. It was directed by Michael Bay, as you say. Ooh, before we get too far into this, I want to go ahead and make a note that um, it was in our Tango and Cash series. This is an amendment to a previous episode, intrepid listeners, that in a previous Tango and Cash episode... I misquoted Shakespeare. I oh, misquoted Hamlet, and I said, alas, poor Horatio, when in fact the line is, alas, poor Yorick. Right? Yes. And I fucked that up royally. I caught it only in the editing, and I was just thinking, and, it's not worth even mentioning to you, because uh, I didn't want you to get inside your own head about it. I've been inside my head for months <laughs> about it. But anyway. Now you can finally sleep again. <laughs> I can haven't finally... slept in months, Kevin. Yes. Anyway, um, back to The Rock. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, yeah, directed by Michael Bay. This was only his second feature film. That's mind-boggling After uh, his first one out was Bad Boys, another classic of the genre. Uh, it's a Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer production. Yeah, you were talking about how amped you get when you see that little like, title oh, card dude, at the beginning. You know to it's going to be a good one. That was the fucking stamp of quality back <laughs> in the day, man. Yeah, this movie is great for a lot of reasons. It's actually kind of hard to have given it the six degrees treatment because it's pretty damn good. It's a solid, tightly wound action movie. Movie. It is. But it also has some great, like, cornball moments yeah. and amazing, just amazingness. A lot at the expense of, or rather because of, um, Nicolas Cage. Just well, it, bringing it hard in this Right? One. It's starring two Academy Award winning actors, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Nicolas Cage, uh, this was like the first thing he had out after leaving Las Vegas. But I think they filmed this before he won the Oscar. Oh, that's cool. So he was like that on the sense. verge of exploding or of whatever being being a historic award-winning yeah. actor he yeah was, he was apparently told by his handlers like not to take this role like they you know that you're not an action movie guy you're a quirky 
hmm. whatever guy, you know, this is going to be bad for your career. And he sort of took that as a challenge. But That's he, sort of interesting. Yeah. I wonder if he took that for a challenge for the rest of his career. <laughs> Maybe. He He's was like, on a string of action flicks after this I'm going to do whatever I want. We, oh, we can't not mention. Yeah, we are both raising glasses full of the Balvaney Caribbean cask scotch right now, the single malt, in honor of... The recently dearly departed Sir Sean Connery, yes, who plays um, ex Special Forces British Special Forces agent John Mason in this one. <laughs> Let's raise our glass, friends. Cheers, cheers. That was a loud tip, my friend. I'm trying. Try Connery, to get in there. yeah, Connery is just fucking amazing. This the Scotsman, the voice. The yeah. look. Is there a more recognizable speaking voice, I wonder, in history? I'm sure there are some. Connery is just like that icon. Yeah. You know, 30, 40 years in the industry of nothing but fucking killing it. Exuding charm and charisma. Every line on screen is believable, memorable. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Just emits confidence. I love it. He's amazing. And he brings like such a presence and a gravitas to a movie like this. Um, a great cast with others, including Ed Harris as Joe Hummel. Ed Harris, who hasn't won an Academy Award, but he's deserving of one. He's incredible. Yeah. I heard Ed Harris speaking and just saying he was very proud of this performance, like in his career. He's very proud. And he said he, so. he said he had felt that he made General Hummel, who he plays, into like a, a believable character, even in an unbelievable believable situation and I'm like totally yeah definitely um, also we get in his third turn as a Navy SEAL <laughs> Michael Bean as Commander Anderson Commander Anderson yeah <laughs> it's so unfortunately so named I don't know how that happens um, in real life it would happen but in a, in a movie where there's a writer somewhere that gets to pick the person's name that's a that's a unique choice to me I wish it had been like Commander Anders Sanderson or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah Commander Andy, Anders Sanderson Andy Sanderson Commander Andy Sanderson <laughs> Anderson. Terrible. Uh, uh, it's then, amazing. And then we have lots of familiar faces. We'll give the rundown. We'll hit them. Uh, yeah. Do you want to do it now or as we go? Oh, we can do it as we go if you want okay, to. But yeah, there's yeah. so many like amazing just character actor dudes, familiar faces, as you say. Yeah. It's it's awesome. It's, it keeps rewarding because you keep just seeing these guys as you watch. And you're like, oh, it's him. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, you don't get a lot of or oh, it's hers in here because there's just not a lot of ladies. Yeah, only yeah. I guess we should mention uh, Vanessa Marcel playing Carla. Right. Who I don't look, know her from anything but this. I feel like I remember seeing her on General Hospital or something like if I was staying over at my great grandma's house or something sure. like that See her on TV <laughs> in the early 90s. Um, like she was a daytime Emmy winner. I want to talk for a minute about. Bruckheimer and Simpson because they are amazing. Hit it. What a dream team. They did their first movie that they did together was Flashdance, which I've never seen. I've never it seen made money. all of it. It yeah. was a hit. But then She's uh, a maniac. they did Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. Awesome. That's yeah. Top Gun. Another little known film. <laughs> they did then Beverly Hills Cop 2. Fine. They had Days of Thunder, right. Bad Boys, Crimson Tide. Um, then Simpson passed away during the filming of The Rock, but Bruckheimer right, went right. on to do all the Con Air, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. I heard that he didn't know, or was it Michael Bay that didn't know? Like, the, the story goes that he it was didn't know? Yeah, it was something like they were trying to keep it a secret from him because he was almost like a father figure to Michael Bay, yeah. and they thought it would That's rough. really upset him. But then the then Nick Cage accidentally told him because he didn't know it was supposed to be a secret. Right. And... We'll get to it as it comes, because on the commentary, he mentioned, like, the day that they 
that he accidentally told him okay and, and stuff like that and it's kind of an interesting story but i also you know you can't really be mad i feel at like it. i feel like um <laughs> that Bruckheimer and Don Simpson were what they were trying to do over at Canon Films. <laughs> yeah. Canon Films they were doing fucked it, it up right. all the time. <laughs> they were doing it right. Um, but yeah, like the credentials, the movies that they were putting out were all just Unreal. like making ridiculous amounts of money and were for the most part like pretty good yeah. films. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about like story and screenplay. I know yeah. we have talked a little bit about that, um, David, because sure. a lot of different hands touched the story and the screenplay in You are this movie. correct, sir. Um, so the credits that I read were David Weisberg and uh, Douglas Cook, who'd worked together on this. They were like job. a writing team. Right. When I looked, when I was looking them up, all their credits were together, basically. Right. And then the only other name that I could find in an official capacity was Mark Rosner, who had a lot of TV writing credits to his name. Yes. Um, and that, and then I also read like Tarantino and Sorkin may have had a hand in this. Yeah, book. and this like, other what? dude named Jonathan Hensley. Right. I think usually when you have like this many different writers attached, that's a big problem. Right. <laughs> like that indicates something is wrong with this movie. It means you didn't bring in Larry Kasdan, so it's a mess. Yeah, and I can <laughs> I can detect some bits that to me sound like Sorkin. Sure. And there's like some moments that feel like Tarantino ish. Right. Um, although, on going through all the nooks and crannies of the Blu-ray, they never mention Tarantino, but they do mention the other guys. Uh, Michael Bay said like that the script that as he first hit his desk was much more serious right. than the humor that was, you know, then added sort of to the fact later. But he said there was a lot of, a lot of infighting among the writers of who would get which credits, which gets ironed out by the writer's guild. So weird. Um, Cause he says, Although this guy, uh, Jonathan Hensley, got no credit, he was the one who wrote the script that they filmed. That most closely resembles what, what you see. Yeah, when you he it. Like, gotcha. the shooting script, whatever one was on the set as they were filming. And then gotcha. there were other scenes were getting sort of improvised and rewritten on the set as well. But, um, but yeah, he just said it was like an ugly sort of a the whatever they do like litigation not litigation yeah. arbitration right. and stuff like that between the writers I will say of, of the movies that we've done this one there are very few duds in this movie like it's yeah. I mean it's pretty tightly wound like yeah. we were talking about and the dialogue is good and the actors really go after it Bruckheimer said his trick was he would he would always set out to make a movie that he really would like to see like that he was going to yeah. enjoy, which should be a no brainer, right? That should but be I what feel you like do in all, in all things. In there's life. definitely movies, though, that come out that you're like, no one's in, like there. Someone's trying too hard to appeal to everyone. Yeah. Instead of just like saying, I want to see a movie exactly like Top Gun. Like, so I'm going to make that movie. Right. You know, um, I don't know. Music, Hans oh. Zimmer. Hans Zimmer and some guy named Nick. Glennie Smith. Yeah, that's producer arranger credit. People, right? I, I'm just wondering if it was like, because he also, Mr. Glennie Smith, has a lot of credits as a conductor. And so I'm wondering if this is one of those situations where Zimmer and this guy was like, Zimmer came up with some themes, some themes and then yeah, yeah and then uh, Glennie Smith you take was it doing, from here yeah exactly can you can you pick up the do arrange these I got some but I thought big time shades of like the gladiator oh yeah gladiator this. and the and the second uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie you okay. definitely Hans Zimmer has a musical language which we've talked about before which is very evident in this movie <laughs> um we also never talk about cinematographer but I do want to mention yes we have to the cinematographer is John Schwartzman 
who was uh, should ring a bell. the half-brother of Jason Schwartzman, the actor, which also then makes him a cousin to Nicolas Cage. Uh, step, he was stepson of Talia Shire, who was like it's a quite, it's quite Connie a in, the, in the Godfather movies and Adrian, uh, Adrian you know, in the Rocky Adrian. flicks. He, so he's step-nephew then to Francis Ford Coppola. I just imagine like they would see a lot of each other probably at family reunions right. and stuff like that. Yeah, this. exactly. Um, but he's actually like an amazing he's cinematographer. Talented. Yeah. I mean, this movie has that Michael Bay feel of like sort of very stylized lighting and stuff, but this dude did Seabiscuit. And if you haven't <laughs> ever seen Seabiscuit, it's one of like the most beautiful to it's watch awesome. films. Yep. He also he did like the second National Treasure movie, teaming up with with yes. cousin Nicholas again, yeah. and then did the the Amazing Spider-Man Jurassic World, which looked yeah. pretty damn good despite it being a you know not a great movie. He also watch. has some weird like he did Airheads, which yeah. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, he Benny and June in Airheads prior to this one, and then this and then his career sort of blew it's up. It's all after over the place. This. He did some of the Fifty Shades like sequels. <laughs> so it's just like what? strange to like that's just I feel like maybe cinematographers has different resumes than most people in the industry sure you do some hits and you do some bombs and you do comedy and you do an action movie and Absolutely. it's like because your your job is not necessarily being the creative force behind it you're just trying to make it look yeah good you just have to make sure it looks great um but yeah i don't know do you want to talk about the flick um no i'm good <laughs> all right we'll see I'm, you gonna, later. I'm gonna drink this scotch <laughs> we'll and see take you a nap. <laughs> we'll see you next week friends well, yeah man take it away let's hit it okay so the movie opens with as you mentioned that fucking don simpson jerry bruckheimer animation like the zooming down a road and lightning is crashing and yeah, that but... just like man when that animation used to come on on the front of a movie like you knew it was gonna be fucking kick-ass dude <laughs> <laughs> it's like you knew you were in for a ride man I was like, I would get amped up. The Rock might have been the one that really, they didn't use that animation on Beverly Hills Cop or Top No, Gun, it would so, have preceded it. So, yeah, this but was yeah, like. But yeah, ever after you saw it, you were like, like, oh, yeah, this be is cool. going to be fucking great. Um, so, it opens on uh, like a military funeral service going on. Yeah. It's intercut with General Hummel. Yeah. That's ed harris's character eddie yeah he's looking very pensive smoking him a cigarette right we're hearing like fragments of a radio transmission of like soldiers that are involved in a firefight right it's tons of info being relayed here through like the video uh, the visuals and the audio i want to say that even like you know having been how old i was 14 or whatever when this movie came out um that that was all lost on me. I was watching the opening yeah. credits and not really just more in more engrossed with what was happening visually and less about the the firefight or his mm -hmm. you hear his voice pleading with members of Congress to do the right thing by yeah. these soldiers and stuff. And it was like, I mean, they they gave the whole subtext of the movie at that. It's like that. Yeah, it's. I found myself, I mean, even as an adult, I don't think I'd ever paid close attention. Right. Because, you know, you're still settling into your seat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> during all this stuff or you're whatever, like you're opening up your Telling your grandmother popcorn. to pass the M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but that's like a talent, I think, of Michael Bay and that he's able to, I think it probably comes from his commercial days of like, how can I relay a lot of information quickly, like that's, using the pictures and the, and the sound? You are probably exactly right. Um, like Hummel is putting on his, his Marine dress uniform. I watched this recently with a person who had never seen the movie before. Right. It was an experience because it's like how, you know, you're getting the first impressions. Right. And um, she said like, oh, wow, the stakes are so high already. 
That's and I was a, like, yeah. that's a very interesting way to say it, and it's true. It is. You're like, it's very serious. And Ed Harris is amazing. Like, he's so sincere and brings such gravitas. When you first see Ed Harris and he's got the whole regalia on, was there ever a human being that was meant to look more like a Marine (laughs) in that moment than Ed Harris? He's been wearing the Marine Corps haircut for like 10 years before this. You're right. In Um, Abyss and everything else. I will say, there was a... Bruckheimer said they never considered anyone other than Ed Harris for this role. Like he was the one the only actor they ever talked to about playing this role. And I can't I can't think of who else at that would have time. been acting at that time, the right age to have played this part that Gene well. Gene Hackman? Too old. Yeah. He was a little too old for that. Did we and you talk recently about Gene Hackman would have done a really good job of playing Jessup? In a few good men, yeah, like he's the only other yes. dude who maybe could have played that Jack Nicholson part. Who just like, and they were more contemporaries age wise. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I can't think of who else could have played this part. Yeah, someone that wasn't like, yeah, someone in still obviously in good physical shape. It's yeah. hard to think of anyone else at the time that would have been. I'm sure as there were some believable. dudes, but yeah, I, Tom Skerritt. Tom's now he, he's I a think little he old. Been too old at that time. Yeah, he was an alien. Yeah, he's yeah. he been too old for that. Um, we'll think about it as the episode goes on. <laughs> as, the, as the bourbon continues to flow or the scotch or the <laughs> That's wine. Right. Yeah, it's going to get lit. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we hear Hummel. Yeah, he's making his pleas to Congress. Um, there's a moment that I also never noticed before where he takes off his wedding ring and he places it next to another smaller wedding ring in front of a picture of a woman. Right. And it's like... You don't notice these details, I think, when you're, like, sipping on a beer and just enjoying the movie. But they really, like, nothing about a movie happens by accident, I don't think. Like, it's all all the production value stuff is, like, meant to relay information, you know, from the way he's dressed to everything you're hearing and seeing. Right, right, right. All that stuff. Um, So... Now we got Hummel in his uniform. He's walking through just a pouring rain in like yeah. this uh, sort of military cemetery. Yeah, we He's, see some guys coming by with rifles and colors. I yeah, believe. like they had like just a, like a we had just parade. witnessed a, a funeral procession, like with the twenty-one gun salute and all that stuff. Right. So I'm guessing that. It's all just being stitched together right. or whatever. Um, he's got a bouquet of flowers. He approaches a grave of Barbara Hummel. His his wife. His wife. <laughs> so here we wondered. Yeah, he lays the flowers down, but like. This is a, it looks like from all the shots that uh-huh. this is a military, I, it, a veteran. I mean, it wasn't Arlington, but it looked like Arlington. Yeah, like a or cemetery. maybe the Presidio. No, it wouldn't have been the Presidio, but I think they do have a cemetery there. Yeah, there's just no reason too. to think he would have been there. I think it's more likely that this was supposed to be like Arlington. Yeah, or, or at least like a that, place but, just like that. But do they reserve plots for. I don't think that's the way that it works. Right? I would love to have a veteran. If there's any veterans listening, like please hit us on yeah, the us social on media or, or send us an email or whatever. Cause I'm curious as hell. Like, I mean, it's also possible that she was in the service. That's true. But, and then maybe if that's, if that's the case, then do you as the, the spouse on record get to make the choice? Like, oh, I want to be buried next to my spouse who preceded me in death. Yeah. And who I, was also in the military. I don't know. I would love to know. We want to know. In any case, I do think putting his wife on her headstone is a little bit heavy handed. It's a little bit like awkward. Like maybe she signed off on that. I hope she did. <laughs> to the, I mean, yeah, before to this point, we don't know who who this is, <laughs> uh, like what his last name is. 
But um, no. anyway. <laughs> so he's, he says that he misses her, and now he has to do something that he couldn't do while she was still alive. It's hard. Um, he says he's tried everything, but he hasn't been able to get their attention. Yeah, let's hope this elevates their thinking. And he says, whatever happens, please don't think less of me. I love it. And he like he lays his Congressional Medal of Honor on top of the headstone and gives the headstone a kiss. So whoever this guy is... He's sort of a badass, or he he stole a Medal of Honor. <laughs> and I I want to say it was Ed Harris that I heard speaking that he said he really thanked like the Navy SEAL technical advisors for helping him find that sense of like making the character feel like a real soldier. Right. And I feel like I mean this dude seems so intense and serious and professional yeah. and. Was and like you? laser focused that I'm just like, oh, yeah, he has the feel, man. He like, feels like the real deal. Was it you or something that I had read that said that like the character of Hummel was a creation of Don Simpson, that he'd seen something on the news or 20, yeah. 2020 or I don't know if I told minutes. you, but I read that that like he had seen yeah, a 60 minute story about maybe soldiers that have been disavowed, like special ops uh. soldiers and some generals who are speaking out against that. And he's just like. That's great. Like, that's a great character. Absolutely. For a movie. And we had this sort of the rock project going and we could tie the two together in that's some way. Awesome. Yeah, it's just fucking incredible. So then we cut to uh, this naval weapons depot, which yep. I don't know that they would have a sign like that. Just posted naval weapons depot. No, but whatever. It looks like, it's like the, the fucking home wide, depot. That wide shot of all the like the the searchlights and stuff swirling. I mean, it looks like a, a level in a video game. It's like you're about to infiltrate. This yeah, place. man. It's like some uh, Call of Duty <laughs> stuff. Yes, very much so. So a strike team breaches the compound they got like zipline hooks fucking grappling guns and like (laughs) yeah ziplines and they're rappelling down i I mean it's all types of cool shit happening um meanwhile general hummel and and a few other guys they roll up in a in a hummer and a humvee or something like yeah some sort of military Um, vehicle they're there to do an inspection so they they get the green light they lift the gate and all that stuff meanwhile the strike team is like taking out all these guards but they're going through great pains not to kill them i don't know it, I yes, you can tell that they're not killing them, but they're not going to like. I mean, they're like knocking them well, out of windows. They're doing non-lethal, but they're doing non. They're like at the beanbag guns, kicking that other dude down a set of stairs. Like if that dude <laughs> lands wrong, he's I gonna guess, die. <laughs> I guess it could happen. It could happen, but they're not just blowing brains out. No, it is. Yeah, they're noticeably not killing people with live ammunition. There's a guy who's inexplicably like got camo face paint on, even though they're in a in a concrete building yeah um it looks cool though you know it had the it was definitely awesome anyway they <laughs> they strip like an access card off one of the dudes that they subdue um hummel links up with these other guys the strike team and they enter this like heavily armored warehouse take out a couple of more guards inside right. and like then the whole crew springs into action like dudes just come pouring in they got like carts and i will say that like that every bit of this movie is a hallmark of the Michael Bay style oh, yeah, as he directed it. But it's like none of this feels like like his later movies like Transformers or things like mm-hmm. that when you're watching it and you're like, oh, come on, Michael Bay. Because all of this looks great. The quick cuts, I think it was a style we've never seen before. And yeah, like, you're probably I mean, other right than about maybe the commercial Other than style. maybe Bad Boys. Right. But like we've never seen an action movie shot like this before. Right, where there's lots of the quick cuts like lots of action happening in a very short amount of time. It's very effective. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's fucking great. And you learn a lot <laughs> about what they're doing and just like, it's like, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Right. They go into like this area marked level four, 
where there's a VX gas being stored. Um, it's like seemed like a refrigerated room, yeah, right? Yeah. Cold storage, lots of yeah. water vapor. So the dudes they start like loading rockets and canisters onto their carts. Uh, one of the dudes lets a canister slip, and it slips open, and a, this little green glass balls fall out of it. Uh, my understanding is this is like actually somewhat realistic for how this stuff is stored and how it's in a rocket. Like really, okay. yeah. But uh, Major Baxter, that's David Morse. Major Tom. Ground Baxter. control to Major Tom. <laughs> That's right. Um, who we know from Long Kiss Goodnight, yeah, same he played, year. He played Daedalus. I feel like this Good. is when he was sort of coming on the scene, like coming up in the world, yeah. even like in blockbusters. And he would know? have been in Green Mile, what, two years after this? Two or three he, years. Which guy was he in Green he Mile? Was, he was Tom Hanks's uh Like the buddy. second in command? Yeah, the second guy on the tier. guy? Yeah, okay. second guy on the He's tier. He's always awesome. I remember him in... Um, did you watch not Ransom? What was the Proof of Life? I don't think I've that kidnapping movie. It's really good, no. but he was like Meg Ryan's kidnapped husband, okay. or whatever. But he's just always like, and he was George Washington in, in Adams. Oh yeah, yeah. He's all. I mean, he's. I've never seen him and not thought he brought it. Yeah, brought the goods. You know, absolutely. Um, so David he Morris, seems. We to, love you. <laughs> and he seems to be the second in command here as well to right. General Hummel. Um, yeah, he's out, he's yelling for everyone to get the shit out because whatever just happened is like yeah, he's a like no-no. clear the room. Everyone starts scrambling out of there. The last man gets locked in. Um, they just slam the door on him. I hate like the this scene has always stuck with me because you immediately it's like we know what Ed Harris was doing and we know that he's a part of whatever's happening now. But then like this dude begging to be let out of yeah. his room. Yeah. And then you see his skin like start to bubble up. Oh, it's it's horrendous. Yeah, it's so gross. It's so badass. It's nasty, but it's very like smart. It's like it lets us know what we're dealing with here. You know, right. like this is something so deadly or whatever. So I also like that that Morse's character was like Tom Bax, Major Tom, was ordering people to like get out, like didn't want them to see it, didn't want the other men to yeah. see this poor guy die. Yeah. Um, My understanding is real VX, it doesn't cause the skin, it doesn't cause anything visually that you can see. But it's like, but every, it does cause your like nervous system to clench up yeah. and like your heart and Oof. breathing stops yeah, and all we'll, that stuff. We'll talk more about that later. It's not fun stuff. Um, um, but yeah, so Hummel like gives, I think, Baxter this sort of disappointed look. Like you jackass, you fucked it up. Um, <laughs> but Hummel and the team, they leave with what they came for. Right. Um, so then it cuts to Washington, D.C. FBI laboratory <laughs> uh, where we had Dr. Stanley Goodspeed. I don't know if we said his name in the open. open. I don't think we have yet. Dr. No. Stanley Goodspeed. It's a great name. It is amazing. It's a very literary name. Yeah. And uh, that is, of course, Nicolas Cage. Uh, he shoots at a, like a target with a little toy gun and it yeah. triggers this like Rube Goldberg machine. I love shit. it. I love it. These guys have a lot of time on their hands is I think what we're getting. It's like a boring like they're lab nerds. They're lab rats. <laughs> he turns to his partner and tells his partner he owes him five bucks. Do you, do you recognize the guy that plays Marvin, his partner? He was High Fidelity yeah, guy, right? The record, Dick, the clerk in Dick High Fidelity. Fidelity. Yeah, not Jack Black, but the other He's guy. He's got a very Michael Stipe thing. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, I like I liked him in this movie because yeah. he always played the same sort of mopey. Like He's got the look. He's yeah. like just looks kind of droopy, like a, like a sad <laughs> dog or something, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like this thing that the chain reaction that he set off like started a fire at the end, which seemed like that 
doesn't seem like a thing you would do inside your laboratory. No, chemists but... turn to it at the FBI lab. Uh, yeah. So then a package arrives in the mail for Goodspeed. Right. He like rips into that thing. It's his six hundred dollar uh, Meet the Beatles LP. Right. Um, which he says his wife wouldn't approve of him spending that money, so that's why he had it shipped to the office. But I love it. I like that he's yeah, like a, a whatever. A, yeah, he's a Beatlemaniac. He's a Beatlemaniac. He's, like, he's a he's self-described like, Beatlemaniac. I could buy a five-dollar CD, but this sounds better. Do you and agree with that? I do agree with that. Okay, Cage on the commentary. He said that he himself had become like a big vinyl guy at the time that the movie was being made. Yeah. That like this was not in the script, but he felt like that his character being a music nut would absolutely just add something to the character. Plus the later on the final act rocket man gag was yeah. in the script. And he's like, it comes out of nowhere. If it's not established that my character is, is really yeah. into music. I Listen, say what you want to about Nicholas cage. There is <laughs> definitely method to the madness. And granted, there's a lot of madness. Oh, yeah. There's so much madness, but you and I were talking the other day about how like he compares the craft of acting to the craft of being a musician. And people ask mm -hmm. him aside from the financial woes yeah. and you need you needing the money. Why do you do as many movies as you do? And he says, because it's like practicing. And there, there's do you believe that? I totally believe that. I'm thinking about like you think about a great musician, uh, uh Eric Clapton or something. Like, yeah. do you think he was a got better and better at a better and better guitarist as he got older, or did he start to lose some? One hundred percent. You you get better the more you do it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think I think, I think a guy's like being in their prime, like an athlete, you, and then you just age out of of I feel, your peak I, of your powers. I feel like musicians are a different animal. Like, all right, so singers, no, because your voice deteriorates True. over time. Technical proficiency at a playable instrument mm -hmm. is going to improve. It's just going to improve over time. You're oh. also going to use different, like you're going to use your life experience to perform and emote and things like that. Um, <laughs> this is a, we're talking about Nicolas Cage. Be it an actor, we will call him great. But anyway, him, yeah, like your skills improve over time until you know you you get to a point to where your body sort of betrays you and your you know your your fingers aren't as spry or sure. nimble as they used to be. And an actor, it makes sense. Like that is a craft that you should be able to get, like painting or something. Like you should be able to get better and better, and better technique and or life informs your performances. Yeah. So they, you know, there's something else to add to them. Anyway, we, we digress. <laughs> back in the back in the FBI chemical lab, uh, uh, Goodspeed and his assistant partner dude are called Marvin to investigate the suspicious package. Um, they bring in this little carrier full of cockroaches. Right, could which, be sarin gas, by the way. They enter this like airtight sort of chamber. This very like cool seeming set, you know, which yeah, is so probably not. It's probably similar. It's probably what's happening in the real world. Maybe not yeah. in the basement. If of you a, look at special ice, like <laughs> video or photo documentation of like a special isolation unit in one of these, like the CDC or something like that, it looks pretty similar. Yeah. yeah. Now, typically, you probably wouldn't have it in the basement of a office building. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> like. If they're down there and they're bombs that show up normally, then uh -huh. that basement or wherever they are is bomb proof. Yeah, why you would never bring a bomb into a building, I don't think. Anyway. Um but so they open this crate up, which was like I think addressed to go to Bosnia. Yeah. Or something. Yep, yeah. That is correct. So it contains uh, some porno mags. <laughs> Stone Age cave girls in the raw. That's Kinky. what it <laughs> and it was uh, like I, I paused it and was like, is this a real thing? It was but it was Hustler <laughs> it was Hustler Busty Beauties. Was the oh magazine and it is God. a real magazine this one featured uh 
God bless you, Larry. Betty Boobs was the uh, cover model. Not even trying. <laughs> There's a gas mask in the box. Uh, not a good says, sign. It's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, Marvin starts goofing off with like a baby doll that was in the thing. And why? Yeah. Why the fuck would anyone do this? I I don't know. Like, no. if you or I were a chemical weapons like employee of yeah. any kind where I, I would be so I would be like sweating profusely oh, yeah. Yeah. handling everything with the greatest possible care and he takes this doll and starts like articulating the arms and he's like mama or whatever oh, and it God. like the eyes blink open and it starts spraying uh, yeah, this Stanley's like, like chemical him to, on hey, him hey stop doing that um, yeah. and it no to no avail <laughs> I wonder, Marvin why would anyone put why would you put the gas or the bomb inside a baby doll uh, same thing with like uh, Vietnamese suicide bombers like little You're kids putting in a lunchbox oh god putting bombs in lunchboxes baby that's fucking grim it's very grim um, it, it happens every day but yeah so the chaos breaks out the agents that are outside the chamber they turn on the fans which sort of like makes it into this cool like wind Vortex tunnel thing? thing yeah it was ah, awesome, awesome looking very cool um goodspeed cuts the doll open and sees that it's also wired with like a brick of c4 uh, i've got some bad news and some really bad news cage is a bringing it in this movie i will he say is, he is awesome uh now yeah, as I said, why in the world is this chamber inside of a crowded building? Because he's like, it's got enough C4 to blow up the building and kill it, or like <laughs> kill everyone in the building. Then clearly you've built the, why the lab and the building wrong. You've done it the wrong way. This is way. not how this works. Jesus. Um, the timer on the bomb is set for two minutes. Perfect. So the agents, they start to the evacuation process of the building. Like, meanwhile, these little the cockroaches that were in that carrier are like fucking disintegrating. And just exploding in their little... That Plastic shit container. was effective because you're like, I don't know what this is, but it's hella corrosive. Apparently, Do you think that real cockroaches were harmed in the making of this movie. Uh, <laughs> if they were, I would not shed a tear. No, for that. Bye. But I don't know how you can fake that because it looked so fucking realistic. Yeah, but movie magic can do some crazy things. There's gas spraying everywhere, and that Marvin. It's like an air. It's like a like a bug spray or something. Like yeah. it's an aerosol, I guess. But it's and if you're Mar really close to it, it's like liquid. Yeah, Marvin's like my. It's eating through my gloves. He starts freaking out he really does There's only one level head in that room at this point the agents outside are telling him like grab that atropine and inject it into your heart before your suit ruptures because i guess when it when it burns through the suit then the gas can reach his respiratory or his whatever so, yeah i guess at, at the worst at that point you're just going to have some like maybe cosmetic burns on your hands but you're still so. gonna survive and it's also like yeah because they you can still function, but once the gas gets your nervous system, then you'll You're be screwed. you'll be paralyzed beyond basically. beyond the bounds of help. Well, Marvin's not feeling that idea. Yeah, he, yeah he, it seems like he yeah, he's like, you want me to take you want to <laughs> stab myself in the fucking what? <laughs> Marvin is like trying to hand one of the atropine needles to Stanley right. to Goodspeed, and Goodspeed's like. Get that thing out of my face. <laughs> like, he's not he's not feeling doing the injection either. No, he's good at the pressure thing. I would think, though, as a as a guy who knows all about these chemicals, like, yeah. if I knew, like, my life was on the line, I feel like I'd be pretty quick to try to give myself the injection. Do you think you'd hesitate or not want to do it? I'm just wondering, like, 
and I was I was going to ask you this in a later episode. We can talk about it now. But like the stabbing yourself in the heart with anything, a la like Pulp Fiction, bring it down in a stabbing mm-hmm. motion. I, I like I know that I would do it in that situation or, yeah. or at least ease it in there, which I don't know if that would be worse or I better. I feel like, like oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Meanwhile, we're down to one minute left on the timer. <laughs> uh, I love the little technician that's on the outside. The guy with kind of long hair. Yes. Like he's like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> it's like a really solid, like great line and great delivery. So what do we think this is that stands, uh, Goodspeed, Stanley says something about the poison mixing? I have no fucking clue. That seems such a, like I'm, an unnecessary. I'm wondering if it's something to do with like, at that point, was there not water? Like they were being sprayed down. Is that, was that I, happening? That hadn't happened yet. That, the sprinklers, okay. they're trying to get the sprinklers to turn on, but they're not, which you believe that in like a government building. Or maybe he's like, saying nothing the, fucking works. Yeah. But he's saying, no, there's chemicals inside the doll that are mixing. Like you can see like right. a sort of a greenish thing mixing with something clear. Right, right, but it's, right. That's a needlessly added little detail. But maybe they just needed something for the bomb to visually do. That makes sense. I don't that know. That makes sense. I've sort of lost track like of what's even going on. Well, at, this, at, this <laughs> at this point, point good, but good who speed, cares? Like, we just see like big, like clunky rubber gloved fingers like snipping wires and doing things while yeah. Marvin is over there f- still freaking out. The sprinklers finally come on. That's right. And that's when he's like, how much time do I have left? And it's 20 seconds. 20 seconds. There's, I don't know how you can even see anything at this point because now there's water all over your mask and everything you would, else. Yeah, you would like, think yeah, like you're condensating on the inside from yeah. breathing heavy and almost dying. One of the dudes and out on the outside is like we're not going to make it and then cool. uh, good speed though of course he gets the bomb diffused with four seconds left on the timer I love Marvin's line get me the fuck out of here I'm going to stab <laughs> myself in the heart with this thing Oh, it's so good. I thought it could have been maybe a cool easter egg if the timer had stopped at 007 Oh, that would have been genius Not too cheesy? No. Not too much? I think, no. Oh, thanks buddy I think there would be a lot of people that would have gone to see this movie in this day and age, they would have not even been wise to the fact that Sean Connery was in it. The, <laughs> the timer, the timer is only on the screen for like a split yeah. second when he stops. That would so have been a great cool. Easter egg. Now cut to uh, Stanley Goodspeed is unwinding back at his house, <laughs> strumming guitar, listening to some vinyl. Can't tell if he's wearing underwear or not. I can't tell. He seems like he could be <laughs> naked. He does have socks on. I noticed. That's fine. Um, this is not a Beatles song, which I thought for sure. I just never, it never occurred to me that this wasn't a Beatles song that he was listening to, like from his Beatles vinyl. Yeah, we, that he just you got. would have assumed that he would have gone home and put the record on, or he's so distraught after his rough day at work mm, that he was like, perhaps maybe he left the record at work. <laughs> I could see it. But anyway, the song is A World Without Love by a duo named Peter and Gordon that was written by Paul McCartney. He wrote, he was dating Peter of Peter uh, and Gordon fame's sister at the time. He wrote this song when he was fucking 16 years old, McCartney. It, like, there's some people in the world that were just meant to do the things that they do. Yeah. And Paul McCartney and he just John had songs Lennon in his head, man. It's like all the time. It's like Mozart. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So he, I guess he didn't think the song was good enough for the Beatles, but he let his girlfriend's <laughs> brother have it for his little duo. Yeah, you can have this song. It's a good song. Yeah. It's all fucking great stuff. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Goodspeed's girlfriend, Carla, comes home. Yes talking about her interesting day that she had. That was our, as you mentioned before, Vanessa Marcel. Yeah, or Marcel. I, had, I had kind of an interesting day myself. <laughs> he goes, he tells her about the bomb, that the, the building nearly got blown up. Then he talks about, like, man, the world is going to hell. Uh, yeah. You know, the thought of 
anyone bringing a child into this world is an act of cruelty, which is an ironic thing to say. Funny you should mention that. <laughs> so he asks, he's, he tells Carl, like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, what was your big news? Oh, like, well, I'm pregnant. I love that he sort of gets his, like, best Owen Wilson Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Things turned awkward in a hurry. Um, I Cage told this story of like when he was prepping for the role that he met with like real life, you know, chemical weapons guys who were the FBI or whatever, yeah. as you do. And this one guy told him about a poison that the Russians had made that eight ounces of this stuff was enough to kill every human on the planet. Right. Damn. And Fuck. that this dude, that, that real life agent seemed to be like, weighed down with this knowledge you know like yeah. it weighed heavily on him at all times and so he was trying to i think that's what he was channeling when he was uh talking about how the world's going to hell and pe- how are people this fucked up yeah I, I, there's like russian gives, poisoning stuff in the gives, news now like every day yeah so yeah. you know it's real it is real it gives me new appreciation for nicholas cage's portrayal at least in this movie of you know someone that's like like later on in the movie, he says, you know, I always figured at some point I would have to deal with a, a crisis situation yeah. of this magnitude. And this is one of these you know, situations where it's like, you know, <laughs> for you or for me to deal with that, if we opened up the mailbox and there was anthrax, it's like, what the fuck? Like, how would yeah. you even I mean, change your your perspective on the world dramatically. And this is someone that deals with that on a daily you basis. You referenced on a previous episode, a previous series about like just the likelihood that a bomb, a dirty bomb yeah. or a what nuclear bomb might get detonated gonna, here. Yeah. And I feel like if you're a person who does a job where you're in a position to know the shit that other people are trying to do in the world, like it probably is hard to sleep at night. It's a very real fear. Um, yeah. Anyway, good night folks. <laughs> <laughs> sleep tight. Um, <laughs> no, he's just like, wow. Wow. And she's like, that's all you're going to say is wow. And he's like saying, well, you know, how are you? Yeah, are, how you, are sure? you sure? And she pulls out the pregnancy test and a little. She's super upbeat and excited about it. Yeah. She's very cute. <laughs> she says she took the test and she went to a doctor and uh, the thing turned blue. Confirmation. <laughs> so she's like, well, did you wait? Did you really mean what you just said? And he's like, what? And he's like, you know, it's it about not having a kid. And he's like, well, I meant it at the time. I love that's that. That's a great it's so, fucking it's line. so good. A great line. And she's like, that's seven and a half seconds ago. Well, gosh, kind of a lot's <laughs> happened since then. It is so, it's so true. It's not wrong. I can He's completely see both of their sides of this Absolutely. thing. And it's like, yeah, his whole world has changed. Your perspective can turn on a dime. <laughs> Absolutely. He points out that they're not even married. And then you like this bitch. She I asked, do. She asked if he'd marry her. I think this is like for this time, I think. I remember seeing something on 2020 or 60 minutes or something like that, talking about the, the phenomenon, or at least it was thought of at, at that time, because, you know, still very much in our misogynistic society that women proposing to men was very um, gauche, but like for her to do that, even at this time would have been super progressive. I feel like she didn't present a ring or anything, but it was just like, well, what's up? Do you want to get married? It would be progressive because why can't a woman ask a man if he wants to get married? Now he did seem to waver. Whoa, man, please, <laughs> pull over. Like, he doesn't wanna... give her a firm answer. It's no. kind of like they just cut. They cut. Movie cuts to Alcatraz at sunrise. Hard cut, hard yeah. cut. <laughs> That's like we got uh, General Hummel, Baxter, some other like assorted tough dudes yeah. walking. Uh, there's this park ranger, Bob. I love him. He's talking about their 14 escape attempts, but nobody was successful. He uses the phrase the rock. 
Right. So does that mean you could walk off the movie if you yeah, wanted to? You can leave done? now. Absolutely. Okay. We give you permission to leave if you care to. Tip your cap. There was also, right did you catch that spectacularly mustachioed extra? Like, guy had a big old cowboy mustache no. twirled up. No. Like, he looked like he was on his way to one of these mustache competitions. I love it. No, I have <laughs> yeah. not. That's a, that's a beautiful Francisco's thing to finest. look for. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Awesome. But um, <laughs> meanwhile, there are a couple of other baddies. They take control of, like, the Rangers headquarters there at Alcatraz. Which probably would not be hard. No, yeah, they're probably not ready to stand up to an armed uh, invasion. Yeah. But the the both the Marines were, like, holding their guns sort of sideways, like gangster style. Right. Which... That caught me as like a no soldier would no. hold their gun like this. No one that's been trained by the United States military, I feel like, would walk into a room and hold a gun yeah, like that. I could, yeah, that just caught me. But at any rate, now we get this great moment. Hummel tells a couple of school children to go tell their teacher they need to leave right now. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we're like seeing already that this guy's got a, a conscience a con- yeah. or a heart or yep. whatever you want to call it. He's got a moral compass. Um Park Ranger Bob has led the the tour patrons into like the cell block. He tells them all to get in a cell, and they like close the gates on them. Now they did not do this on the tour. I did. I love that Bob is like loving their job. Welcome like to Broadway. <laughs> he's got his socks. He's like a short, like a little diminutive. Yeah. He's got his socks hiked up high and his love shorts. Yes. Oh, it's fucking great, man. But there's not a whole lot of like subtle nuance at this no. moment. <laughs> I read. I read that apparently Ed Harris like couldn't stop laughing at yes. Ranger Bob. The I whole saw the time same thing. Like he said, he this was so dude was good. hysterical. You had to be a comedian or something, right? Oh, I love it. You don't usually get this much good energy, though, from a tour guide, no. in my experience. So I, I give Bob credit. Hummel and a couple of, like, these enormous goons that he's right, got with right, him. Right, right, right. Like, they come up behind him, and they tell, uh, tour's over, Bob. Oh. Which I love that. Uh, yeah. So now more bad guys are arriving via helicopter. And this is where we get our first glimpses of the two bad captains. Uh, yeah. Captains Fry and Darrow. Fry is Greg Sporlater, who... I, I don't know him. I, I His face is so recognizable. If if anyone should take up the mantle of the Joker, he should just because of his face. He's his got face these like high cheekbones. High and cheekbones, deep set eyes. Very and dramatic like, jawline. Yeah. Um, sort of diabolical looking. I feel like I do remember seeing him maybe in the Andersonville miniseries, the okay. Civil War miniseries. He was apparently in that, probably playing a piece of shit. Um, and then also Tony Todd playing Captain Darrow. Yeah. Candyman! He was in Platoon, that guy. Yeah. Um, now, I got a question for you. Hit me. What the fuck time of day is it? These helicopter shots, when they're arriving, it is nighttime. It, it is, is like dark. What? Well, that made me wonder. <laughs> it made me wonder. It is. It's the fucking patented Michael Bay stuff, man. There's like tons of quick cuts. Yeah. Everything looks like super glossy and slick and produced. You're right. That, that we don't know what. We've, we've lost all sense of equilibrium. We don't know what time of day or There's night it is. There's a great laugh line from a dude in the cell who's like, what kind of fucked up tour is this? Yeah. That's some... That is Michael Bay, yeah, like to a time. T. It's like he knows how to break up the tension, though. You know, yeah. Um, uh, we see that the dudes, like all these soldiers, they're armed to the teeth. Yes, Hummel's in fatigues now, which threw me. Because <laughs> did he later. have a change of clothes under his clothes, or did he have a duffel bag with fatigues in it? I, I mean, he like was in, in fatigues 90, instantly. In ninety six, 
pre 9-11 you could probably get away with getting on the ferry to Alcatraz with like a book bag sir why do you have your overnight bag he could fit his fatigues in a duff like See, a little book bag or something at first I was thinking okay the guy showed up on the helicopters and they had the fatigues but no the second the helicopters land and the dudes Darrow and Fry come out he's already in the fatigues he's not comfortable <laughs> if he's not wearing fatigues I think Maybe but so. He's a military he, man. He's on a mission, right? <laughs> but it's like, anyway, that just cracked me up. Um, but yeah, as you say, the dudes brought a lot of gear, like tons of guns. They got like satellite equipment and like everything and, you would need, I guess, to set up a, like a mobile command. And rockets and intrusion stuff. Like There's a lot of familiar faces. We got uh, Raymond Cruz. Yes. That's he plays Sergeant Rojas, but you ain't know him as Tuco. Tuco. Yeah. Uh, he was the expert like young Bad. sniper phenom in clear and present danger. He was in training day. Um, he's just awesome and super memorable always to see. Uh, John C. McGinley is there. Who we love. Always bringing it. Always playing that John C. McGinley type. <laughs> we need John C. McGinley type. Um, <laughs> but the guys, they're setting up the VX rockets. They're setting up these anti-intrusion measures. That's where we see Hendrix. Right. That's McGinley. Right. He's like got a special custom motion sensor device that he's setting up in the shower room. So we know that shit's going to pay off. Yeah. We, they, they will have never seen it. They won't know about it. Yeah. Now, Hummel is addressing the hostages. He's very civil and very apologetic. He yes. says we won't keep you a moment longer than we need to to accomplish our objective except for the discharging of the firearm to get their attention <laughs> he did walk in and just popped one off yeah just shut up um he briefs his men now they're cut to they're in the command center or whatever he's briefing his men on the situation some of them have been with him for a long time yeah, others and, are newcomers he and baxter have been together since vietnam yeah then he referenced uh, years sergeant crisp yeah, the Desert uh, Storm. And uh, John C. McGinley, I think they've been with him since Desert Storm. Some of the new guys he's just meeting. Now, the new guys seem shady right off the bat, yeah, right? That's Fry time. and Darrow and yeah. some of the other big guys. Um, Hummel tells the men they're officially now in danger, like they're going to be labeled as traitors, but they're on the right side of history. You know, he references, I think, the Patriots, like the Founding Fathers, as these guys were also viewed as traitors. Yeah, he says... Yeah, a few hundred years ago, the Founding Fathers were traitors, but now we think of them as patriots. And I'm like, well, like... They also weren't taking civilians hostage or threatening yeah, like, to they launch were, they were fighting gas, in battle. nerve gas at yeah. civilians. But Yeah, civilians weren't... I guess they were sort of involved. Anyway. He tells him, he's like, once the mission is complete, we're going to all escape to a non-extradition country. Each of you is going to get a million dollars, but the trade-off is you're never going to be able to come back to this country again. He asks if everyone's still on board. He gets the enthusiastic like chorus of yes, yes sirs. Sir. Uh, then now Hummel tells his men that the soldiers of Marine Force Recon carry out illegal missions all over the world. And when one of them is killed in action, their families are lied to about what happened and they're denied their death benefits. Um, right. And all these lies These're are going to stop, stop now. now. Now, as you said, that is like it's true. An honorable I guess. Sentiment. It's a thing and it's a thing that happens. It's honorable yeah. and sentiment, but the method is is madness. Aren't Ed Harris's eyes incredible? That blue? Yeah. Oh, man. It's like this, like, steely slate kind of blue. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Ed Harris is awesome. If you haven't watched Westworld, go do that right now. Now, Ed Harris said he found all these, like, lengthy speeches that he has to give, like, to be very difficult to deliver just because it's, like, they're pretty grandiose and, like, over the top. Uh, there's lots of numbers and locations and yeah. shit that he's got to, like, say, and it's hard to keep the intensity up when you're just trying to remember 
what it is you're supposed to say. But yeah, um, I can imagine. He said, and then he said, like, fucking Michael Bay, he wanted to shoot everything from a dozen angles, like a low angle and a high angle and the left and the right and close up and I far away to have all those quick cuts. And he's like, I got to keep my intensity up like all fucking morning, deliver this scene 20 different times. Like, I could sort of see it. He said he got frustrated, but then and he didn't understand what is the fucking point. Right. But when he saw the finished product, he's like, oh, OK, That's the point. this works like. Okay, Michael Bay, you know what you're doing, I guess. Absolutely. Um, That's awesome. This movie has something like 3,000 cuts in it. Jesus Christ. Like the average shot length was two and a half seconds, which is if you think about it, then you get a movie like 1917 where it's like going for the total total opposite (laughs) effect. Right. It's pretty incredible that there's that many different ways, you know, to whatever, to cook a chicken or whatever. Um, Cut to Washington, D.C., we got a uh, snazzy dressed FBI director Womack taking a phone call. What Fucking part, John Spencer. What party's happening on October the second? First, first the evening ish. of the first. I don't know. I mean, just whatever. <laughs> Some fundraiser. Is it maybe. an election year? Ninety yeah. six. Probably. Oh, it was an no. election year. Ninety two. Ninety. Yeah, it was an election year. Maybe. Maybe okay, he's after go, the whatever, go. the fucking gala. But um, John Spencer is playing FBI Director Womack. Fucking amazing actor. Yes. So uh, Leo McGarry from the West Wing. Yes. Dude's so fucking natural. Like, he just seems like a guy who's saying stuff. and But he's like, he seems like he is the guy. He he's seems like he's the real voice. thing. He has a very craggy face. He's not overly tall, but he carries himself with a lot of weight. Yeah, he's got like gravitas. Yeah. He's yeah. amazing. Big time. Um, so Hummel tells him, we've got 81 hostages on Alcatraz. Now, this is a fact that you've got to keep a secret. You are to take measures to assure this remains a need-to-know classified fact. <laughs> need-to-know classified. Seems redundant, <laughs> well, but it's all good. Um, he also says they've got an arsenal of VX gas rockets they're ready to launch at San Francisco. Oh, cool, 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 cool. He says, I'm going to call back soon with some demands. Mr. Director, you have a very serious problem. Yeah, he, oh, uh, Womack asks him, who is this? Yeah. What does he tell him? Brigadier General Francis X. Hummel, United States Marine Corps from Alcatraz. Ow. We talked about, what does the X stand for? Um, Xavier. <laughs> Xavier. I feel like it has to, or Xander. Xylophone. <laughs> <laughs> Xanadu. Xanadu, it's my, it's my choice. X-Ray. Francis so, X-Ray Hummel. These say Brigadier General. That's three tiers down from the highest rank you can have in right. the Marine Corps. Well, it surprised me that, I mean, I guess if he was a still battalion commander in Vietnam and doing the things that he was in, Gen- in Desert Storm, like, yeah. like personally leading men. Oh, if he's a 30-year man, 35 yeah. years in, you would hope you're ri- risen to a pretty high level. But it, uh, it would have surprised me that, like, he obviously someone that wants to be in the field. He reminds me of major winners in Band of Brothers that, like, wants to serve yeah. in the field with his men. He wants to be with the men, not directing from a safe place exactly. behind the exactly. Yeah. Now, this is awesome. Yeah. Ed Harris, he says that his breakthrough is how, I, how am I portraying this guy? He said his breakthrough came when he realized that Hummel is not a madman and that Hummel is putting on an act, but he has no intention of launching, like doing the things that he says he's going to do. So he's, he's playing it so intense and over the top because he feels like he's got to do everything he can to ensure that the government won't try to test him. But I thought that was so cool that it's like, Oh, he knew from before this ever started, he would never launch the rockets. Right. Like that's a, he's not a, he's not a kill crazy madman. Right. Awesome. Uh, 
Womack, director, FBI director Womack, tells his assistant like to get the Pentagon on the phone. Cut to the Pentagon briefing room. Everyone's being brought up to speed there. Right. It's all very Michael Bay stylishly lit. I highly doubt that that's what a real Pentagon briefing no, room looks like. It's all drab and depressing. Well, he's telling them that, yeah, that Hummel and his men, they stole 15 VX rockets from a, a weapons depot. Yeah. Hummel is this legendary soldier. Yeah. We get this dude, Sinclair, sort of enumerating Hummel's accomplishments, three purple, which include three purple hearts, two silver stars, a medal of honor. And, and <laughs> the Congressional Medal of Jesus. <laughs> I love that, that line. That's not what it's called. It's memorable, though. Um, yeah. And he calls Hummel a hero. Um, the guy giving the briefing, who we find out in just a moment's name is Kramer, corrects him, says, legend is more appropriate. Mm. Um, then Sinclair, this guy, rightly says, well, we should go ahead and add kidnapping and extortion to Hummel's impressive resume. Yeah. Are you still a, a war hero if you become a tyrant but later? I like, Kramer claps down, claps back and says, Hummel's a man of honor. And it's at that moment that Hummel calls from yeah, the Yeah, right. The call comes through. He seems to know the dude, Kramer, because they're yeah. like on a first name basis with each other already. Kramer was played by uh, Stuart Wilson, who was like the main bad guy in Lethal Weapon 3. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. is uncredited in this movie somehow. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so Hummel says he's lost 83 Force Recon Marines in, during his command in various theaters he mentions laos china etc you get that young fella sinclair yeah. jumps in he says we we never admitted that we sent troops into china he asked him to tell who identify yourself yeah hey fucker <laughs> he says he's the white house chief of staff this was this was the bit that that you let me watch on the blu-ray of like the outtakes of this scene oh my Holy god shit uh, yeah, let's white... just say ed harris is intense and you should go on youtube and look for the rock oh, outtakes yeah. yeah white house chief of staff hayden sinclair gets a dressing down <laughs> from uh general hummel he is 33 he says that is young to be chief of staff to the fucking president yeah just, John, John Ossoff's running for Senate 33 years old. Yeah, right now, but like chief of, of staff is like, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's like, a fucking, I mean, my knowledge comes from the West Wing, but I imagine as being a contemporary of the president. Yeah, that, that person would have would need like preternatural superhuman knowledge of foreign policy and yeah. everything else. Knows everyone in every department, you know. And, and how you would accomplish that by 33 is a mystery to me, but yeah. It's pretty crazy. So then Hummel uh, says that the men he lost, they never received any medals, or never funeral. got a military funeral. Their family was denied benefits. 20 men left to rot, he yeah. says. So he says he wants $100 million transferred from the Grand Cayman Red Sea Trading Company to his account, from which he's going to pay out a million dollars to each of the 83 dead Marines families. And then the other 17 million, he will disperse at his, uh, at his discretion. discretion, baby. Yeah. Now, Womack wants to know what's, what, what's, what, what is, is the Red Sea trading? What is that? Hummel tells him it's the Pentagon's uh, slush fund where they keep money from illegal arms sales. There's a lot of a lot of soldiers like all, all the military <laughs> goons in the room look rather uh Plussed. Yeah, Womack looks stunned by it. Uh, Kramer tells him, like, come Jesus, on. Frank, Frank, this is classified <laughs> information. He, he gives the great line, dude. Uh, you alert the media, I launch the gas. You refuse payment, I launch the gas. Ed Harris fucks. He He's fucks so hard. fucking yep. good, man. You got he 40 can, hours, baby. 40 hours till noon, day after tomorrow. Um, so now Hummel tells him also a vital bit of information. Says, we both know your countermeasures and we know they don't stand a chance. 
and then he like signs off right so Womack says they need to I don't know what we got to tell some story to the hostages families on, guys we got to keep word from reaching the public or we're going to have a panic on our hands uh Kramer asks. I love this bit. The, he asks, how deadly is this VX So the dude, the dude that he asks name is General Peterson. He's like Peter- the Air Force general. Yeah, yeah. Peterson says, like, sort of this, like, 60, 60 or 70. Per rocket, right? Yeah, and, and Sinclair says, well, that's not so bad. 60 or 70, that's not so bad. 1,000. 70,000 dead. <laughs> One teaspoon of this hits the floor, it's lethal up to 100 feet. One teaspoon of this shit detonated in the atmosphere will kill every living organism in an eight block radius. That's Get the fu- point? That's fucked up. It's Big fucked up time. that these, I think these things exist. Oh, they the military exist. has these weapons. It's bullshit. Now, I think Womack, maybe it was, asked about what was he talking about with the countermeasures. Right. And it's explained to him that uh, he's referring to this like thermite plasma. Right. That, Which is that, napalm that on steroids. It's like kinda? napalm on steroids. It can burn up VX gas, but it's still like in an experimental phase. It's not greenlit for use oh, yet. <laughs> there's this scene, dude. There's just lots of dudes, lots of faces, lots of people talking. But it still kind of works. Oh, it all like because yeah. you realize. I think it doesn't really matter who any of these guys are. Like you're just soaking in the information as it comes. You're not like, no, wait a second. I've, I've heard I, ten I different will, dudes. I will say that, like in a lot of the movies that we watch, when exposit when it's time for exposition, there's a lot. I roll my eyes. I'm like, Jesus Christ. But in this movie, it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need, I need to know. This. <laughs> I need to know. You're on a need to know basis, I, I a, soldier. I need to know now. The <laughs> um, general Kramer says, like, let's fucking get to work on preparing that thermite plasma as a last resort um and we're going to prepare a seal team incursion as like our primary response kramer turns to womack and he tells him get me your best chemical biological man i'm going to tell you kevin that that would not be me <laughs> don't call me the stage is set for a killer who are like, they going to call do you think who are you going to call Stanley Goodspeed. Stanley Goodspeed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that'll have to wait until next week because I am bushed. Oh, you guys, if you sat through this episode, you're a true fan. We are glad you did. There is much more great stuff to happen on The Rock. Guns are going to start to be fired soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we are mere seconds away from the shit really hitting okay. the fan. Awesome. Uh, we'll see you next time. We'll be back. We'll be back.